listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. But I was, I was going through... Um, and, and looking at, at, at some things. And of course, the more content you post online, the more people come out of the woodwork. And um, it's, it, it's mind-blowing because I, I, was wa- I was looking at a, com- a couple of comments that popped up. And um, one of the things that blew my mind, this guy, because people, you know, people don't even read their Bible. People don't even really know. They're so religious that they don't even read their Bible. I don't, I don't know if it's because they don't feel like they need to because they've heard it all or whatever. You know, maybe it's, maybe it is pride. I don't know, but this guy starts to comment and talk about, and I guess I'd been teaching on how God wants to bless his children and, um, financially. And and this guy gets on, no, actually, uh, Jesus told his disciples to sell all they had and give the money to the poor. And I said, no, he didn't. He never told any of his disciples to sell all they had and give their money to the poor. He said that to one man who obviously had an issue with money controlling him because the man couldn't even obey the instruction from Jesus. He said that to one man and never said it to anybody else. That's not a normative experience for the, for the Christian. You're not supposed to, no Christian has been commanded to sell all they have and give the money to the poor. Now we're supposed to bless the poor. We are supposed to follow Jesus. We're not supposed to have a love of money. We're not supposed to be controlled by uh, physical wealth or things of this world, but Jesus never said that to his disciples, and it's not something he's saying to the church or to the to Christians in this age. And you've got this mindset, which I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna blow it up today because I'm honestly so tired of hearing it that people don't even read the Bible for for what it says and understand it. We've got this mindset in the body, and, and you need to share it because people need to hear this that God has a pro somehow has a problem with the thought that we think he wants to bless us. Like God's upset by that. If you hear the number of people in our generation that tried to comment and call it the prosperity gospel, there's no such thing as the prosperity gospel. There's just the gospel. There's just God's nature and what he does. That's all there is. There's no healing gospel and prosperity gospel and salvation God. It's just the gospel. It's just the good news about what Jesus has done. And the good news about what Jesus has done is that he has now connected those of us who are Gentiles to the family of God by grace through faith. We had no way to become part of the family of God until Jesus, who said, I am the door. You must come through me. Now that we've been able to come through him, we can be a part of the family of God, which was never possible before. Never possible. And there's no prosperity gospel and there's no healing gospel and there's no, it's just the gospel. And you get to partake of the nature and the goodness of God. That's all there is. And so the reason I had you turn to Deuteronomy 28 is that you either have to make up your mind Either God is a God who is good and provides for his children and brings them into abundance or overflow, or he's not that God. It's that simple. 
He either is that God or he's not that God. And if he's not, then let's just stop calling him what they, what Abraham called him in the Bible, Jehovah Jireh. Let's just stop calling him that if that's not who he is. If he's not the provider, if he's not that, if he's not El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, if he's not all, all the all-sufficient God, then let's stop referring to him in that way. If it's not right, if it's not scriptural, if it's somehow heretical, then let's get away from it. But if it's what the Bible teaches, then let's get into it and stop being ashamed of it and stop having to explain it away and back away from it. Well, we just want to bring some balance to that message. You're not going to bring balance to it. It's either true or it's not true. He's either a provider, an all-sufficient, more than enough God for his children, or he's not. The thing is this, the Bible teaches us that God does not change. God does not change. For people that think God changes, they don't understand his character, nor do they understand his nature. It's like Abraham, you know, when Abraham was quote unquote bartering with God, he was going back and forth about Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that story? You know, well, Lord, what if we found 50 righteous? You know, he gets all the way down. What if he found 10 righteous? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd preserve the cities for 10. You know, and we honestly, if people don't understand God, they think, yeah, he's just, uh, he's sitting there bartering with Abraham and, uh, he, you know, Abraham's going to somehow change God's mind. Let me ask you a question. Do you honestly think that Abraham was sitting there in prayer, talking to God and with the ability of changing God's mind? Or do you think more likely that God already knew what he was going to do? And he was allowing Abraham to come to the realization that, yeah, that would be nice if there were 50 righteous people in there, wouldn't it? That'd be nice if there were 30 righteous. That'd be nice if there were 10 righteous. There aren't. (laughs) And, you know, he's letting Abraham drop the number and drop the number and drop the number. And God is using Abraham's prayer to show him the whole reason I'm destroying the city is because there aren't those righteous people there. There aren't even 10. And Abraham has to come. He's not changing God. He's not changing God's mind. Trust me, Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed no matter what Abraham said. It was just that God was letting Abraham come to the realization. Yeah, I I know it'd be nice if there were righteous people there, but there are none, which is why I'm destroying it. (laughs) And before he, what did he do before he destroyed it? He pulled Lot and his family by two angels out of the city and then utterly destroyed it. God doesn't change. God doesn't change. He is the same. He's always been the same. He always will be the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So God doesn't flip-flop on how he feels. He doesn't flip-flop on how he moves. Do you realize that literally to this day, people are like, well, we're, it's not like the old covenant any, anymore. Well, in some ways it kind of is. So well, we, we don't have to sacrifice blood, you know, bulls and goats and lambs for our sins. Yeah, but that's not because God doesn't require blood anymore. He still requires blood. It's just that Jesus' blood is the ever-present sacrifice in, the thr- uh, in front of the throne of God. It's not that we don't need blood anymore. We still need it. It's just that Jesus is the eternal lamb of God. That's why we don't have to sacrifice 
animals anymore is because Jesus became the eternal lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why God still, he's the same. He requires a blood sacrifice. It's just that Jesus is our blood sacrifice. God doesn't feel any differently about sin today than he did in the Old Testament. You understand? So God doesn't change. And his desire for his children does not change. His desire for the obedient does not change. It does not change. And so I had you uh, come to Deuteronomy 28. It's a popular passage. Everybody uh, has read portions of it or all of it. Uh, before, but I want to break it down and read some of this because we got to get past this. Uh, I know there's people that are critical of this understanding, this message that God is good and he wants to bless his children. Look at it now. Deuteronomy 28. I'll start with verse one. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, The Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now, let me stop before reading on and say, obviously, we know this was not written to the church. There was no church. This is not New Testament. This is Old Testament. There were no churches. Jesus had not come. This is not being taught. This is not being said to uh, born again Christians. It's being said to Old Testament Christians. Israel, God's chosen elect people. And so I want you to see this. He's giving them an instruction. What, what's there? Because remember this, God's covenants are conditional. In fact, that's the first thing I want you to write in the comments today. God's covenants are conditional. God's covenants are conditional. Very important that you get that. Very important because if you think they're just promises, then you say, well, how come God's not manifesting his power? How come he's not blessing me? How come he's not doing it? No, because God's covenants are conditional. What does that mean? He requires us to do something and then he does something. It's never one-sided. It's a two-sided. That's what a covenant is. It's two-sided. And so notice that everything that God is getting ready to do for his people in the old Testament, it's all based upon. Yes. I'm going to deal with that. Sharon, we're going to get to that. It's all based upon verse one, what they would do with the word or the commandments he has given them. So watch this. Now, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you this day, then the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Verse two, and all these blessings will come upon you and they'll overtake you. That's the kind of blessings I want. Blessings that overtake me. If you obey, once again, the condition, the voice of the Lord, your God. Now, before I get into listing them, let me say, say this. The old Testament is a picture of God's people obeying him and then being blessed and then rebelling and disobeying him and then falling into curse, falling into poverty, falling into captivity, and then turning their hearts to God and obeying him and then falling away again. And and that's what the whole Old Testament is. And then he'd send prophets and then they'd listen. Some wouldn't listen. They'd listen for a while. They'd stop listening. 
and he'd send judges and he'd send kings. And you know, you go through the old Testament, that's what's going on. And it's, it's insane to see that they, they would obey, they'd disobey. They'd, they'd go after him, they'd fall away from him. And it's, it's like they never put it together. They'd go after him, they'd obey him, they'd get blessed abundantly. They'd rebel, they'd go the other direction and fall away, and they'd be cursed, and they'd go into captivity, and they'd be slaves. It's like people didn't get it. But it was a very simple thought process, and God's given it to them. Be- obedience is the thing that brings you the blessing. Now let's read how those blessings will come. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They will come against you from one way and they'll flee before you in seven ways. I love that. I love that. The Bible says the Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He'll establish you as a holy people to himself as he's sworn to you. If you keep the commandments, look, there's the condition again of the Lord, your God and walk in his ways. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they'll be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your livestock, the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. He'll open to you his good treasury, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands, all the work of your hands. Think about that. And you'll lend to many nations, but you'll not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you'll only go up. You'll not go down. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you this day, again, the condition careful to do them. Don't turn aside from any of the words that I command you today to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So you can see very plainly and understand that God's conditions are obedience. His covenant is conditional. And he said, if you'll obey me, if you'll obey my words, if you'll obey my commands, I'll bless you so abundantly that people won't be able to stand it. They won't be able to understand it. Do you realize to this day, I mean, I think you should know this by now, the Jewish people to this day are so blessed everywhere they go. Everywhere they go, they set up shop in a city, they set up shop in some state, and they're just blessed. I mean, to the point that it blows my mind. It's like the hand of God has never left the people of God, and the blessing he promised is literally so strong on the Jewish people. I heard a story one time, it made me, it actually made me laugh because it brought me back to Deuteronomy 28 in my mind. Um... I was listening to a podcast of a stand-up comedian, and he was saying that um, that he and Jerry Seinfeld both moved to New York City to do comedy at the same time to go to like you know downtown Manhattan, you know New York City, and uh, they moved in, started doing comedy clubs at the same time, and uh, he kind of lost touch with Jerry a little bit for for a little while, and then ended up seeing him maybe like a year later or something like that, a year and a half later. And, uh, 
again, apparently this guy, this stand-up comedian, was like having a hard time, you know, finding a place to to live in New York City and like a place to rent and like you know, it's just like the he couldn't afford the places or whatever. And uh, he came, he finally saw Jerry Seinfeld back at a comedy comedy club one time. And uh, he came up to me. He's like, "Hey, Jerry, good to see you. How things?" You know, they start talking. How things been going? Comedy going good for you and everything. And he said, "Man, have you noticed? It's like so hard to find a place to rent in New York City. He's like, I can't, everything's so expensive. I can't, I can't find a place to rent hardly." He said, "How's it been for you? Have you found a place to rent?" And he said, "Jerry's face looked so confused at him, and he was kind of shaking his head. And he said the the answer that he got was so funny." He said, Jerry Seinfeld looked back at me and he just kind of shook his head. He said, Jews don't rent. <laughs> that was the answer. Jews don't rent. As if to say, we only buy, we only own things. We don't rent things, we own them. <laughs> we, don't just, we don't just rent an apartment, we own the apartment building. Yeah. And, and that when that story was told on that podcast, it shook my mind back to this passage in Deuteronomy. That God's people, he said, I'll put my blessing on you so abundantly, you will be the lender and not the borrower. You will be the lender and not the borrower. And so you can't tell me, I mean, you you go back through the Old Testament. How are you going to try to make a case? How are you going to try to make an argument that somehow God, I'm breaking this down uh, piece by piece for you to see this, because I don't want to have to ever hear people apologize for the fact that God's blessing them. And let me tell you, the spirit of this world will try to make you feel ashamed that you're blessed. Try to make you feel guilty that you're blessed. And it's foolishness. And so I want to break this down piece by piece for you today on this rant. But understand something. If God himself was against, if he was against blessing people financially, if he was against blessing people monetarily, you know, she's like, well, that's, that's an earthly thing. That's not a, you know, that's not a good thing. That's, you know, that's, that's the things of this world. Okay. If that's true, then why in the world would God bless Abraham so abundantly that he increased in gold and silver and cattle or livestock? Abraham obeying God by faith, obeying the voice of the Lord. If God's against financial increase, you know, people talk about it today. You hear people talk and you hear the way they talk about the blessing of God or the prosperity of God blows my mind that how against it they are. Well, no, that's, that's a false gospel. You're a false teacher. You're a false prophet. Okay. If God who never changes is so against it, then why did he use financial increase as a reward for obedience in the Old Testament? Not in the new, even in the old. If he's so against it, prosperity is a dirty word. Prosperity is an evil doctrine. Prosperity is a dangerous thing to preach. That's an American gospel. Notice none of this was happening in America. There was no America. Abraham didn't get blessed in New York City. Isaac didn't sow in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was, this was in the Middle East. You understand? This is not some American-made gospel. God was doing this in the Old Testament. So if God is so against financial increase, 
if he's so against blessing his people financially, then why was it a specific blessing for obedience to his commands in the Old Testament? You telling me God just didn't know what he was doing? Oh, I forgot that I'm against prosperity. Why in the world would I give Abraham gold and silver and livestock? God specifically, he didn't just use it. He promised it. I just read it to you. I just read it to you. And if, if you want to say, well, God, you know, sovereignly chose Abraham to bless it. Okay. Well, then why did he promise it to the entire nation of Israel, 12 tribes? Why did he promise it if he's against it? And so, well, he, he wasn't against it back then. That was his Old Testament choice. Well, what, do you, what did he change? So God changes, you're telling me? God's nature and his uh, desires change. That's what you're telling me. They don't change. He said, I'm the Lord, your God. I do not change. Malachi. So explain to me how if God's so against this message of abundance, he's so against this message of prosperity, he's so against this message of increase, but somehow he uses increase, prosperity, and abundance to point out the people that he's backing. And it didn't just happen with Abraham. It didn't just happen with Abraham. Abraham became very great in gold and in silver and in livestock. Abundance. Well, you keep on reading. It's not like it just stopped with him. It moved on to his son. Because when you understand it, Isaac, Isaac was so blessed financially. Financially. He was so blessed because what? Because, because of the fact he obeyed by faith. Isaac comes down into the land and the Bible says there was a famine in the land. You know what else I love about this? I love, I love the fact that God knows how to bless you when it looks like there's no blessing available. It's what he did for Isaac. He told him, don't go down to Egypt like your father did. Don't go there. He said, go to a place that I'll, sh I'll tell you and I'll be with you in that place. I'll be with you in that place. And then after he said that, Isaac obeyed, went down to Gerar and settled there. <laughs> now here's faith right here. He didn't just settle there. The Bible says he sowed in that land in a time of famine, in a time of famine. Okay. So he goes by faith to the place God shows him, sows in that place by faith. And then look what happens. He gets so blessed. I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 26, verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Why do you think the Lord blessed him? Because of his obedience to obey his instructions. He obeyed God's instructions. He didn't do the traditional thing. He didn't go where his father went. He went where the Lord told him to go. And God blessed him. And the Bible says, and the man became rich. Hold on a second. Oh yeah, Sharon, I'm going to deal with that too. Don't worry. Just stick with me. I'm breaking it down piece by piece. Get ready. Anybody that says 
God's against his children being rich. Explain to me why the Bible that's inspired by the Holy Spirit and inerrant says, and the man became rich. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich. Verses 12 and 13. Genesis 26, 12 and 13. And the Lord blessed him and the man became, oh yeah, it does say that, rich. And gained, listen to me now, and gained more and more until he became very wealthy and had possessions and flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. (laughs) God can bless you to such a degree that those who don't serve him envy you. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. He can bless you to such a degree that those that don't serve him envy you. Woo! Feel the Holy Ghost on that. Because it's a proof. It's another proof that God can do what he said he will do. He takes care of his children. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells of his father's servants they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech, the king, the king said to Isaac, go away from us for you're much mightier than we are. God didn't just increase him and give him abundance and overflow more than enough. He caused the household of Isaac to be mightier than the household or the kingdom of the Philistines. And it freaked them out and it intimidated them and they envied him. And he said, please leave because you're mightier than we are. You're mightier. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I want you to say it by faith, put it in the comments. I am mightier than the spirit of this world. Put it in the comments. I am mightier than the spirit of this world. (laughs) I am mightier than the spirit of this world. And yes, you are. Yes, you are. Your blessings not governed by America's economy or whatever nation you live in. It's not governed by corporations. It's not governed by culture. It is governed by heaven's resource, heaven's economy. You are mightier than the spirit of this world. It didn't stop with Isaac, went from Abraham to Isaac, but it went on to Jacob, Isaac's son. You know, what blows my mind about the story of Jacob is that with Jacob, he left and went to work for his uncle Laban But then his uncle Laban starts to try to uh, cheat him, tries to cheat him. (laughs) And I love this. I'm going to read this to you because I want you to see how God, God will bless you in the midst of people trying to cheat you, people trying to steal from you, take from you. Nobody, listen to me. And I want you to put this in the comments as well. If God has decided to bless you, Nobody can steal enough from you to keep you from being blessed. If God has decided to bless you, nobody can steal from you enough to stop God's blessing on your life. Do you realize Jesus lived this way just to prove that principle? I mean, unless you believe that Jesus was just, you know, completely without discernment, and was not led by the spirit and didn't know that Judas was a thief 
I mean, you'd have to actually believe that Jesus had no spiritual discernment and just had no idea because the Bible says Judas commonly stole from the treasury, helped himself to what was in the money bag. Bible tells us that he commonly stole from the treasury commonly, which is why he was all bent out of shape when, uh, the woman with the, the, uh, bottle of perfume, the alabaster box broke it open. It was worth a year's wages and anointed Jesus body for burial. He said, oh, we could have sold that and gave the money to the poor. Yeah. And the Bible says the reason he said that is because not because he cared about the poor, but because he often stole from the treasury, which means he wanted to sell it, get the money in the bag and then help himself. And do you think Jesus didn't know that Judas was a thief? Of course he knew. But this is a point for us to understand. This is something for us to realize that nobody can steal from you enough to stop the blessing of God that's upon your life. Nobody can take from you enough. And Jesus proved it because there was never a time in the gospels that they ran out of money and there was nothing they could do and they can't go on any more trips and they can't keep preaching the gospel. Where'd the money go? You never hear Jesus asking the disciples with a bewildered look on his face, where'd all the money go? Judas is just like over in the corner with like a sheepish look on his face because he's stolen it all. No, no. And so I want you to understand something that without question, nobody can steal from you enough. There we go. Block that idiot on YouTube. And let's also add this block list in the restream chat. dummy. Nobody can steal from you enough to stop the blessing of the Lord. I wanted you to, I wanted to read this to you because this is so awesome that like, even while somebody was trying to cheat Jacob, his own uncle, God's like, you can't exactly Sharon. Why would poor people need a treasurer? Look at this now, Jacob's prosperity. Genesis 30, and verse 25, as soon as uh, Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you. I've been faithful to you. You've, your livestock has grown. I'm going to start paraphrasing to get down to the place that I want you to see. Um, the Bible says that uh, he'd, he'd caused his uncle to increase abundantly. The Lord's blessed him wherever he's turned. Now I'll provide for my own household. Also, he said, what shall I give you? He said, you don't give me anything. If you do this for me, I'll gain pasture. Your, I will again, pasture your flock and keep it. Just let me pass through. Now listen to this. Let me pass through your flock today and I'll take every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. He said, let me take the worst. Let me take the worst of your flock and you keep all the spotless lambs and you keep all the, all the best. And he said, that'll be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later. If you ever come to look at my wages, everyone that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and black of the lambs, if it's found with me, let's let it be counted stolen. So he's saying, let's let it be proof. If you ever come to look at my flocks and you find any that are not spotted, speckled, you can say, I stole it from you. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. 
And then look at this. <laughs> He's so crooked. He's so crooked. And then after he agreed to it, that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black, put them in the charge of his sons and he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. What a crooked son of a gun. Agrees to it and then steals everything that he said would be Jacob's wages. Then look at this. (laughs) Look at what Jacob does. Verse 37, Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond trees and plane trees, peeled the white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and in the troughs. That is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since where they bred, they, they bred where they drank. The flocks bred in front of the sticks and also the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. And then Je- Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black of the flock and uh, of Laban put his own droves apart and didn't put them with Laban's flock. And whatever the, look at this, whenever the stronger of the flocks were breeding, he would lay the sticks in the troughs and their children would come out or their, uh, their, their calves would come out speckled and spotted. <laughs> they were for him. And then when the feebler of the flock would begin to breed, he would take the sticks away and literally his uncle would get the weaker. So even in the midst of being stolen from, there was a way that he was blessed above those that were even trying to steal from him. Had no issue. God had no issue with him being blessed. Go on to David. David gave the biggest offering I think that there ever was in the Old Testament or new. $6 billion offering if you just look at his gold and silver today. $6 billion with a B. $6 billion with a B offering to build the temple of God. When his elders joined him, 20 billion with a B. Hmm. Interesting. How do you give 6 billion from your own private treasury if you're not blessed? Did God have anything wrong with David being abundantly financially blessed? He had nothing to say about it. He was not upset about it. It was God who blessed David. No issue with it. He had no issue with it. No issue. You go through these. Why would God, if he hates this so much, you know, people get all bent out of shape and then they say the wrong, they, they quote scriptures improperly. Well, you know what the Bible says, brother, God, the, the, then they'll say this money's the root of all evil. Bible doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. There's nowhere that says money's the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, not money. How can an inanimate object be evil? It's like saying guns are evil. Guns aren't evil. They're objects. Knives aren't evil. They're objects. The same people that use that logic that guns are evil because they kill people, you have to use the same logic and say forks are evil because they make people obese and get type 2 diabetes and cancer and hypertension and high blood pressure and metabolic syndrome. You've got to get the forks out of the hands of society. We've got to get forks out of people's hands. People aren't smart. They want to blame things instead of blaming the decisions that people make. And when you've got a group of people that just fall into love with money instead of falling into love with God, of course there's going to be evil things that happen. Because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You can't love God and money. But that's not what I'm teaching today. 
You can love God fully and he bless. That's what happened with these people. That's why God said, if you'll obey me, my commands, let me give you a verse that proves this. I, I used to use it all the time on the broadcast and you'll probably still remember it. This shows you why it's so true. John 14, 21. And this is Jesus own words. Jesus said this in John 14, 21, Jesus breaks down what love for him and love for his father actually look like. He said, how can we know? How can we truly know if somebody loves God or if somebody loves Christ? Here's how you know. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So notice it's only the people who obey God's commands, Christ's commandments that are qualified for his manifestations and revelations and for his love. God doesn't show his love to everybody the same in the same way that he doesn't show his favor to everybody the same. You know, the Bible's clear on that. God resists the proud and gives more grace or favor to the humble. He gives more to the humble and he stands against proud people. So that's, you know, you don't have to be a genius to know that God doesn't treat everybody the same. He simply does not. I know we'd love to think that he does. And he has set up a system in which that he will interact with everybody in the system the same way. He responds to faith the same way. He responds to obedience the same way. But he doesn't just randomly and arbitrarily bless everybody the same. He doesn't do that. It's all conditional. Remember that. It's all conditional. His blessings are conditional. His favor is conditional. It's based upon how we respond to his commands and his word, his written word. And so when you realize that, then you can't, you just say, well, I don't understand why some Christians are so blessed and others aren't blessed. Not everybody's obeying the Lord in the same way. Not everybody's obeying the Lord in the same way. You can't wonder why some Christians are financially blessed and others aren't when some are givers and others are not. So don't, listen, don't tell me that it's just an Americanized thing because let me give you something. Even in America, there are Christians that struggle financially. So what are you going to say? He said, well, that's because you believe that because you live in America and that's an American gospel. Everybody's got money. Let me tell you something. There are Christians in America that can't pay their bills. There are Christians in America that struggle financially. There are Christians in America that don't have enough. Not, not more than enough. They don't have enough. So don't tell me it's just because it's America and North America. And that's just because we've come up with some weird doctrine because we live in a blessed country. No, there are Christians here that don't have enough. They can't make ends meet. So don't tell me, well, you know, that, that's because you live in America. No, because we see the divide even here in this nation. There are Christians that are abundantly blessed and there are Christians that don't have enough. Poor. Why? Well, you understand, why would God bless everybody the same? When he has outlined in his word how to receive his own blessings. He didn't say, I'm going to bless every Christian financially the same way. He said, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will I cause men to give into your bosom? Don't sit around. You can't sit around and quote 
My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. That's not for everybody. That's not for everybody. Don't sit around and quote out of context. My God shall supply all my needs. The Bible doesn't even say that. The Bible doesn't even say that. Notice what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Okay. I want to show this to you about God's provision. It's not the same for everybody. Philippians four, this right here is something that people quote out of context more than almost any other verse. They love to quote it at offering time. Somebody lift up your offering and say, my God will supply. It's not for everybody. You can just sit at home and say, I'm just confessing my God will supply all my needs. It's not what Paul said. Let me read it to you in context. In context. Verse, uh, this is Philippians 4.14. Yet, Paul, this is a letter to the Philippian church that Paul wrote thanking them for their faithfulness. And listen to what he said in context. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. The original Greek, to have fellowship in my trouble. And look at verse 15, because this is so foundational now. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in to partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Get this now. Paul's being very plain. No churches gave to support my ministry. None. Except for you Philippians. You're the only ones that did. You're the only ones that did. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now look at verse 19 after we've read all of that. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So now that verse makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? You can't just sit around and claim my God will supply all my needs according to his riches if you're not a giver. And statistics show us even across America, the majority of Christians, forget givers, they're not even tithers. They're not even tithers. So, and by the way, if anybody's listening to this on the replay or if anybody's listening to this on the podcast that has an issue with New Testament Christians talking about tithing, let me bring to your remembrance the, the famed theologian who's now in heaven, R.C. Sproul, who was not Pentecostal, who was not a prosperity preacher, who was not, he never preached on abundance, none of that. He was a reformed Calvinist and cessationist and even R.C. Sproul, the famous Reformed Calvinist cessationist believed, and I've got the book at home that he wrote to prove it, believed that tithing extends into the New Testament. This is a man that doesn't believe in prosperity. This is a man that doesn't believe in abundance. Here's a man that doesn't even believe in the Holy Ghost and manifestation or speaking in tongues or anything Pentecostal. He's a, a, a very intelligent man and a theologian, and even he believes tithing extends into the New Testament through all of the study of the original languages and all that he did of the historical uh, Jews becoming Christians and all of that. He writes in his question and answer book that 
Jews and Christians would have still been tithing without question in the New Testament because there was no explicit teaching to them to stop their tithing. And so they would have continued on doing it. And it continues on today. So forget giving above and beyond the tithe. Because uh, Robert Conover, that book by R.C. Sproul is called Now That's a Good Question. It's a good thick book. He covers all kinds of questions and answers them biblically. The book is called Now That's a Good Question. And he deals with tithing in that book and teaches on how it would have extended into the New Testament because there was no explicit teaching from any apostle or any Christian source that tithing ended after redemption. And so they still would have all been doing it. There were so many churches that were started by Jews that became Christians. They would have, unless they were told to not, for example, one thing they were instructed not to do anymore, animal sacrifice. You don't need to do that. Jesus is the sacrifice. So that was stopped. But tithing was never taught against, nor was it ever ended. Jesus didn't become the ultimate tithe on the cross. And so even he, who hated the prosperity message, preached that Christians today should still tithe. But you haven't even begun to give if you've not even tithed yet. Giving is above and beyond the 10% tithe. And until you've hit the tithe mark, you've not even begun to give an offering. You've not even begun. Well, you know, brother, we tithe 6%. Tithe means 10%. It's its own definition. You can't change the definition of tithing. And there's people who say, I don't know why God doesn't bless me. Well, the reason is because you have to obey his commands in order to receive his blessings. So well, if God truly was into blessing, he'd bless everybody. He doesn't bless everybody. He blesses the obedient. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Isaiah 119. I know who it's written to. No good thing will God withhold from those that walk uprightly. Psalm 8411. Uprightness and walk is obeying his commands. Love you, Robert. God doesn't bless everybody the same. And so you can't say, well, you know, that, how come it doesn't happen for every Christian then? <laughs> because not every Christian's doing what God. And you know what's mind-blowing? Is if you look across American churches, the statistics on tithing is so low. It's so low, it's mind-blowing. I'm going to pull it up because people don't even understand. Look at this. Tithers. I want you to listen to how sad this is. According to nonprofitresource.com, only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithe. Hmm. Let me say that again. Only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithes. Hmm. Listen to this now. 80% of Americans, 80% only give about 2% of their income. Christians are giving at about 2.5% of their income. 
Listen to this now. During the Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. So we have literally dropped 0.8% in our giving from the Great Depression. Christians at large are giving 2.5% of their income. That's mind-blowing to me. 2.5%. And so don't tell me, well, if God really loved us, he'd bless. He's not blessing disobedient people. He's not blessing disobedient people. He blesses obedient people. <laughs> That's how it works. And some people say, well, if, if that message of prosperity was true, then every Christian would be abundantly blessed. No, that's not true. That's not true. Because not every Christian's obeying the instructions. God's not a fool. He doesn't bless the disobedient with the obedient. He doesn't compromise his own commands by making them obsolete. Let me tell you, it would be really irrelevant for God to give any commands if there were no consequences to the commands, Right? What, what would it matter? What would it matter if God told everybody to live free from sin and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but it doesn't matter if you do or not because everybody's really going to go to heaven at the end anyway. Well, there's no reward for making the choice and there's no consequence for not making the choice. Joe Law asks, my mother sold a house and immediately put that money into another home purchase. Should the money have been tithed on first? Any increase that you receive, you should tithe on. I don't care if people give you birthday money. I don't care if, I don't care if somebody gives me a gift card. I'll tithe cash off the gift, gift card. Here's $100 to Amazon.com. I'll pull $10 out of my own bank account and give tithe on that. Any increase that comes into my life, God gets 10% off the top. Off the top. And it's, oh, I, don't know, I don't understand why I can't get ahead. Well, people aren't giving. People aren't even tithing. <laughs> and the Bible says, you know, and I understand this is before the church and I've, all of that. I get that. Malachi, though, God, God comes against Israel and says, let me tell you how you've robbed me. Not just in tithes, but tithes and offerings. How do you rob God of an offering? How do you rob God of an offering? Because... He can give you an instruction about what he wants you to give. And if you don't give him what he asked for, you've robbed him. Any increase. Now, I mean, you, you think about it logically. I'll give offerings, but you know, if somebody gets a, a tax return, if you've been doing what you're supposed to do and tithing on the gross of your income and not the net of your income, then when your tax return money comes back, uh, you're, you've already tithed on that money. If you're tithing on the gross, And you got to remember, there is no harvest that comes back from a tithe. Harvest only comes back from seed sown, offerings. Tithe is a payment that tests your heart. And there is no harvest that comes back from a tithe. The harvest comes back from seed, from what you sow, which can only happen above and beyond a tithe because a, a tithe's not, it's not a, an offering. They're different things. Aaron said, my husband likes to argue with me about tithing on gross or net income. You made all the money. It's yours. Doesn't matter that you brought it home. You made it. You're giving it to the government. If you didn't give it to the government, it wouldn't be your money. 
And so the reason I tithe on my gross and not the net is because it was all my money. That's why the government took it from me. It was all mine. And I make sure that God's not going to miss out on what was his because the government took some before I brought any home. Not doing that. God gets all of what's his and much, much, much more. If we really got, if we really understood this, tithing is such a basic thing. People shouldn't feel like they did God a service because they're a tither. That's like going to work and bragging that you woke up this morning. You know, can you imagine gathering everybody around your cubicle, around your desk? Guys, get over here. You're never going to believe what happened this morning. You're like 30 years old. Today, today when I woke up, I put my shoes on and I tied them myself with no help from anybody. They're going to look at you like you are, uh, they're going to look at you like you're a nut job. Okay. Thanks for telling us. Is there something else to this story? No, no. I'm just, look at them. I'm telling you, I tied my shoes today by myself. Yeah. You're 30. People are all bright. Well, I'm a tither. Good. That's so basic. That's like being 30 years old and say, you know, I colored this picture and stayed in the lines. Good for you. You should have that kind of dexterity at 30 years old. People bragging about their tithe. I'm a tither. Who cares? We should all be tithers. You're not doing God a service because you tithe. Tithing is, should be done by every Christian across the board. The fact that we've got, you know, only 2.5% by given by 80% of Christians are given 2.5% of their income is a shame. It's a shame. Do you know that if all Christians tithed, didn't even give offerings, if all Christians just tithed, do you know trillions and trillions of dollars would come into the kingdom for the preaching of the gospel? Trillions. Not billions, not millions. Trillions of dollars would come into the kingdom if people would just faithfully do the bare minimum tithing. They need, even if they never gave an offering, just tithing alone would cause the kingdom of God to go through the roof in productivity and efficiency. Nobody would have to have some kind of little poster board they bought at Walmart with a marker drawn thermometer, you know, with, with money giving levels up the side so that they can put new doors on the church. You know, we're just believing for a $3,700 uh, goal here because we need to replace all the doors on the church and you know, we're already up to $732 and your giving's really appreciated. It's a joke. It's a total joke. You got churches that have to do that crap because you got people in the seats that are so, that literally they're so sold out to themselves, not to God. They don't give a crap about God's house. And they prove it with their giving. They don't care. They don't care as long as they've got enough food on the table, uh, as long as they can go on a vacation every year, as long as their bills are paid, then they don't give a crap. And that's what you've got. Carnal Christians sitting around in churches. That's why, and I'm not saying that. It's not my opinion. The statistics are showing us that. 80% of Christians give 2.5% of their income. It's a joke. It's a joke. It shows that, the, you know what? Here's an idea. Why don't you just travel up into heaven and slap God in the face and spit on his feet? What a joke. And people coming in with their hands raised. Oh God, I'm sold out to you. No, you're not. Tell God you're sold out to him when you steal from him every week. Obviously, that's nobody on this broadcast. The Victory Tribe, I know, are tithers and givers. I know how generous you are. I'm talking about a principle 
of people in the body of Christ. It's a joke. Churches shouldn't have to struggle. Christians shouldn't have to struggle. It's a big cycle. If you do what the word says, you'll be blessed. And then we get all bent out of shape because we're not, uh, we're not where we want to be because we've been robbing God. So we're not where we want to be. And so we're, we're frustrated. Oh, well, I don't know why the church needs all my money. I don't have any money myself. The reason you don't have any money yourself is either because you're not a tither and giver or you're a horrible steward of your resources or you're just living beyond your means, which falls into uh, being a horrible steward of your resources. A fool spends all that he has. There's a reason you don't have enough, especially in America. There's a reason you don't have enough. And it blows my mind because then you get guys that'll jump on and bash prosperity without even thinking about it. And even these guys that bash prosperity that are in the body of Christ, you go look at the, Google their homes, Google their homes and look at what their homes look like because they got New York Times bestselling books and they're against prosperity. Look at Hank Hanegraaff's home if you want. I wonder where John MacArthur lives. Look at, look at what they have. I'm against prosperity. Yeah, but you got it, don't you? What are they driving? I guarantee you John MacArthur's not driving around in a little 1989 Civic. (laughs) Well, we're against prosperity. Well, we're against prosperity. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Because you're right around having it, living in it, eating it. Guarantee you John MacArthur's not eating steakums and ramen noodles at home. Nancy said, you pay tithe from an earned income. I pay tithe on any increase that comes into my life. It doesn't matter if it's from my job, somebody gives me a gift. I don't care what it is. If it comes into my hand and it's increase, I tithe off of it. I tithe off of it. I guarantee you. And I'm not ashamed one bit of the prosperity God's placed in my life. Not a bit. You could not shame me. people come up you want to look at what i drive i did have a pt cruiser that was my level of prosperity in bible school but my god it was new john look at that someone googled it macarthur has a 1.5 million dollar home oh he's against prosperity though Keep doing those conferences where you bash Holy Ghost people that preach prosperity while you're living in your $1.5 million home. By the way, the average income of the American is like 30 something thousand dollars. I think it's like $32,000. The average income of an American is like 32 grand. What the average household income, I don't even know, is like 40 something thousand, 50. So the average American household income, husband and wife, is like 50 grand. And this guy bashing prosperity is living in a $1.5 million house. He's full of crap. He's full of crap. So who gave him the house then? God or or the devil? Did the devil bless John MacArthur with a $1.5 million house? Or did God bless him? Or you want to get into this thing about, well, God sovereignly picks and chooses who he'll bless and who he'll, he picks it by who's obedient and who's not. And if you don't think God's into finding, you know what blew my mind? Cause I thought for sure, I'm going to, I'm going to say this again. 
I thought for sure that R.C. Sproul was going to bash tithing and giving and stuff. And, and bash, even in his, in his book that I have, that now that's a good question. I thought for sure, because he's a cessationist and a, and a reformed Calvinist, I thought for sure he was going to, when someone asked the question, is God interested in our financial well-being? Because that's a question in the book. Is God interested in our financial welfare? And I thought he was going to say like, absolutely not. He's interested that you live holy. And if, you know, if you're, if it's your lot in life to suffer and to be without, then you know that I thought that's how he's going to answer. His answer was absolutely God's interested in our financial well-being. That was his answer. He, yes, God cares about providing for you. You know why he had to answer that way as a theologian that knows the Bible? Because you can't read the Bible, Old Testament and New, and come to the conclusion that God doesn't care about the financial well-being of his children. You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. Because he blessed them in the Old and he was blessing them in the New. Blessing them in the New Testament. Jesus was blessed. Anybody that argues that Jesus wasn't blessed is a moron. Anybody that actually thinks Jesus was walking around the earth as a pauper is a fool. Is an absolute fool. It's a fool. Because how can you tell me, one of the biggest things, Jesus was Jewish, in case you didn't know, by the way. If you believe, now look, you go back to Deuteronomy 28 where we started, and you go beyond verse 14. You know what you're going to find from 15 to the end of the chapter? All of the curses that come upon the people of Israel when they disobey the Lord's commands. When they disobey the Lord's commands. You know what it says? You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in your basket, cursed in your storehouse. I mean, it goes right through. Cursed when you come, cursed when you go. Cursed will be the fruit of the ground and cursed. I'll withhold the rain from your lands. And it goes through all the curses. How do they come? Through disobedience. So let me ask you a question. Yeah, Matthew 23, 23, Rob. He even told the Pharisees, yes, you should tithe. Don't leave the weightier matters of the law undone. He said, you're so careful to tithe your mint and your cumin, but you live the, uh, leave the majority of the, the, the more weightier matters of the law undone. And he said, yes, you should tithe. Matthew 23, 23. Not only that, people were still receiving tithes by the time that Hebrews 7 was written. So don't tell me that it wasn't in the New Testament. Here's the other thing. Is you can't, I mean, if you understand that, that poverty was a curse under the law, it was a curse. You'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, cursed in your basket, cursed in your storehouse, cursed coming in, cursed going out. So let me ask you this. If we know that the poverty that came upon Israel was as a result of their disobedience to God's instructions, let me ask you a question. You answer it yes or no in the comments. Was Jesus ever disobedient to God's instructions? Put it in the comments, yes or no. Was he ever disobedient to the law? Was he ever disobedient to God's leading and guiding or his purpose? Was he ever disobedient once in his life? Put, I'm waiting. Thanks, Gina. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Christina. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Mary Sue. No. G, because you know what that would be? What do we call it if someone is disobedient to God's command? What do we call that? We call it sin. 
It is a sin to disobey God's commands. It's a sin to him that knows to do right and does it not to him. It is sin. It's a sin when you disobey God's commands. So if you believe that there was a time in Jesus life where he was disobedient to God's commands, that means you believe that Jesus sinned at one point. So if Jesus was cursed, because that's what the Bible teaches us that financial poverty was to the people of Israel. It was a curse because God is, listen, is God a liar or is he the truth? He's the truth. God doesn't lie. He's not a man that he should lie. So catch this. Either what God said to Israel was true or it was a lie. So if you believe Jesus was poor and he was a member of the nation of Israel who never disobeyed God's commands, not once, then you have to explain how that curse of poverty came upon Jesus. If he was never disobedient to the commands of God, if he was always humble, if he was always obedient, how did the curse of poverty come upon Jesus then? Explain that to me. Do you think, do you think Jesus refused to give? Do you think he refused to tithe? Do you think he refused to bless the poor? How did the curse of poverty come upon Jesus? It'll be on the podcast today, Robert. All these sessions go on the podcast. And thank you, man. You're always so kind to me. I love you. How could the curse of poverty come upon Jesus? I'd like somebody to explain it to me. Because I have been studying the Bible for over 30 years and I still can't figure out how these people come to the conclusion that Jesus was a poor man. How did he get into that curse? If he was never disobedient, if he never sinned, if he always was, uh, found himself within the bounds of the law, of how could he have been cursed by God? How could the devil have brought poverty upon him? How? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't line up with what God told Israel. It doesn't line up with what the prophets said. Let me read you Isaiah 48. In case you've never heard this, I've said it all, all tons of times on the broadcast. Isaiah 48, 17. This is the Lord's call to Israel. <laughs> Thus, and he's talking to a rebellious Israel, by the way. Listen to the words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 48, starting in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. Who leads you in the way that you should go. Now let me go on further. Oh, and God's lamenting here. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. What would have been the result if they had paid attention to his commandments? Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea and your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains and their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. 
Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the end of the earth. Say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from them, from the rock. He's he's recounting his goodness when they were obedient. If you'll just be obedient, I'm the one who leads you and causes you to profit. I lead you in the way you should go. That's the result. Let me go go to Psalm 1. That's the result of what happens when somebody obeys the instructions and commandments of God. It brings blessing, financially even. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. And if you read the context of Matthew 6, it's not talking about spiritual things. It's talking about natural provision. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? Where shall we live? He said, don't worry about those things. That's what the heathen worry about. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's Matthew 6, 33. And the one before it was Isaiah 48, 17 through, I believe, 19. Now look at that. The natural things. The natural things. Let me read you Psalm 1. I know this is poetry. I understand what genre of literature this is in the Bible. But it's not like it's uh, untrue because we look at it as poetry or, or people blow my mind. These things are either so or they're not so. They're either so or they're not so. Blessed is the man who walks, this is Psalm 1, 1 through 3, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. You say, well, that's just generally, you know, generally. What are you talking about? Generally. That's, you know, people will say that. Well, you know, these things in Psalms and Proverbs, you know, they're generally true, but they're not specifically true for every individual. Oh, really? So God's watching people that refuse to walk in the counsel of the wicked and refuse to stand in the way of sinners and refuse to sit in the seat of scoffers, but delight themselves in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night, obey it in all they do. And then, uh, but you know, that's just generally, not everybody that does that will be blessed. Not everybody, just, you know, generally, that's like a general statement. Really, that's how you're going to interpretate, you're, you're going to interpret that scripture. You're going to look at that and say, well, that's a general like, like with Proverbs, well, those things are generally true. They're not true for every individual. <laughs> Let me say, I don't care if it's in Proverbs or not. It is not generally true that a fool spends all that he has. It is true for every individual. If you spend all that you have, you're a fool. These things are not generally true. It's what God is saying. This lines up with what God told his people in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Same thing. 
obey my commands. Don't, don't reject me. Don't go after other gods. I'll bless you in everything that you do. Paul says, can one's pride bring you to your riches, thinking that you're righteous of your justification of your flesh that pleases God? Paul, I'm not teaching that riches are the proof you're holy. If that was true, any sinner that was rich would be looked at as holy. That's not what we're teaching. I don't understand. And that's, he's not the first person that's asked that question. Nowhere does the Bible teach that riches are a proof that you're holy. But riches will be a proof of holiness. But riches in and of themselves don't prove you're holy, but riches will be a result of holiness. More than enough is a result of seeking God's presence, his power, and obeying his word. You can't read the Old or New Testament and not believe and understand that. Psalm 84, 11, Job 36, 11, Deuteronomy 28, Psalm 1, Isaiah 48. You can't not believe that. The Bible teaches it. Yeah, and that's a great point that AJ makes. Being poor is not a proof of holiness either. Anybody that's ever taken a vow of poverty is a fool. A fool. Vow of poverty. Like that makes you more holy. It's stupidity. I've taken a vow of poverty because I don't want anything this world has. Give it to me then. I'll take it. I don't want what this world has. Really? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the silver and the gold. They are his. They're not the devil's. They are his. The earth is the Lord's. Belongs to him. And if he wants to give me a portion of it, I'll take it. Because he knows what I'll do with it. I'll preach the gospel with it. I'll win souls with it. No, but he did. You have to understand. Norman's, Norman brings this up. I believe Jesus was and he wasn't. He broke one of the commandments by healing on the Sabbath, but he was showing that even the commandments have to bow to his name. But you have to understand something. The Bible teaches us that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. So Christ was the fulfillment of the law. You understand that? And so part of his redemption, uh, his redemptive process, he, he came not only as the savior, but he came as the healer. It was not wrong for him to fulfill the law and it was not wrong for him to do what he did as the Messiah. And so it was not a sin for him to do what he did when he healed on the Sabbath day. It was not a sin for him to do that. He never sinned. So he did not break the law of Moses. He fulfilled the law of Moses. There's a big, big difference there. Big difference. That's true. Aaron says that he gave dominion to man, though, correct? I always thought the world was ours. He did give uh, dominion to man. But remember, that means that if you're in covenant with God, everything that's his is yours. And so you start to realize, and this is mind-blowing, because there'll be, there'll be people and, and you can tell that this is an antichrist spirit because they don't have anything negative to say when unholy people get blessed. I mean, they make whole shows about it. What, what was up with MTV Cribs? People applauding. People that they don't even approve of their lyrics. You go look at some of these rappers that objectified women. Everything was degrading towards women. 
You understand that? And even they would say, well, we don't appreciate their lyrics. We don't like the way they talk. But they'll still go to their house on MTV Cribs and say, ooh, look at how awesome their music has made them so much money. Look at their cars. Look at their mansions. Look at their jet skis. Look at their lake that they have in the back of their house. Look at, look at their bed. This is where the magic happened. Look at their bedroom. Look at their clothes. Look at their jewelry. And everybody's, ooh, ooh. MTV Cribs back in the day. And they're going to every rapper's house. <laughs> Paul doesn't even know what he's talking about, but you can keep squawking in your mom's basement. People don't understand and they get mad. I'm not saying it. The Bible said it. People are such a genius. I've literally taken the beginning of this broadcast till now and systematically broken down from scripture how this is, it could not be possible that God is against the message of abundance. He's the author of abundance. And people are so blind and religious and stupid that they can't understand how much God loves them that he wants to bless them. Just dumb, hard-headed, whitewashed tombs, sepulchers full of dead men's bones, fools, blind guides, dumb. Well, if that's what you want, then enjoy it. Just remain poor and enjoy it while you're doing nothing for the world, literally nothing because you don't have enough to do it. See, here's the part people don't get while you're doing literally nothing for the world. Can't feed anybody. Can't care for anybody. Can't bless anybody. Can't take care of anybody. Can't clothe the naked can't help the widows, can't feed the hungry, can't do any of it because you don't even have enough money to pay your bills or you have just enough money to pay your bills. So there's nothing you can do to be a blessing to your generation because you don't believe in abundance or overflow. It's a problem. It's a problem. So enjoy being poor. Enjoy not having enough. Enjoy being without. Because it's not God's plan. That was your own plan. That was your own plan. It's ridiculous. So enjoy not being able to help your generation. Enjoy not being able to preach the gospel or push it forward. Enjoy being insignificant. Ridiculous. You say, well, that doesn't sound like the love of God. The love of God is what makes this message possible. People reject it. I don't have, I'm not sitting around. I don't need to convince, you know, Paul with no last name on, on YouTube. If you believe it, believe it. If you don't believe it, don't believe it. But I'm not sitting around trying to convince you. I'll shake the dust off my feet and go somewhere else. Or you go somewhere else because it's my broadcast. <laughs> sitting around in his pajamas in his mom's basement getting mad because God wants to bless him. You can't read the Bible with a brain and not understand God wants to bless you. It's not possible. It's simply not possible. And I want you to hear this because I don't want people to have to um, apologize for being blessed. Don't apologize for being blessed. Don't let people make you feel bad that you were 
blessed. No, this is not the way that seems right to a man, but this is the Bible. It's what it teaches. And if your brain's not big enough to look through a systematic thought process, that's your own problem. Go back and listen to it again if you have an issue and can't understand. But it's, it's God's desire to bless his people. It's God's desire to bless his people. I want to pray because God has a desire to bless and to use you. He wants to cause you to overflow. He wants to cause you to abound wherever you are. <laughs> Dragon breath. Oh, Lord, people have lost their minds. I'm going to pray for it because I know God wants to bless you. He wants to take care of your family. He wants to cause you to be a blessing to your generation. I want you to put this in the comments, everybody that's watching. I'm not called to be a liability. I'm called to be an asset. Put, put it in the comments. I'm not called to be a liability. I'm called to be an asset. Love you, Gina. Thank you. Yeah, exactly right. Daniel said that the thing is you either believe God wants you to, to bless you financially or he wants you to struggle. And as a parent, you can't believe God wants you to struggle. That's exactly right. Jesus made that point in Matthew 7. Jesus made that point in Matthew chapter 7. He's a loving heavenly father who gives good gifts to those that ask him. And compares that thought to the fact that even earthly men know how to bless their children. See? And so, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you today. That God, and maybe there's people watching. You say, you know what? That convicted me because I've been in a place. I've been in a place where I've not been doing what the Lord expects me to do. Maybe you are there. This is not a broadcast to condemn you. It's a broadcast to show you the truth of what God is expecting from his children. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. I've been teaching this and it's important to understand it. There's a difference between making a decision for Christ and being a disciple of Christ. We're not supposed to just be converts. Salvation is not fire insurance. It's not fire insurance. We are disciples of Christ, which means we live in the disciplines of God's word. It's important. We live through the disciplines of God's word. And if we live in the disciplines, that means we'll do what we're commanded to do as disciples of Christ. And when we do it, What's the promise for those that are obedient? The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. I understand that God wants to bless us more than we've ever been blessed. My prayer is that by the time 2021 comes to an end, you'll be more blessed than you've ever been. That God will do more for you in seven months than you've ever had him do in 12 months. I believe that. I believe that. If you believe it, put a hand up in the comments. 
If you believe God wants to bless you in that way, put a hand up in the comments. Because I believe it. I believe God's going to do it for you. Amen. Amen. That's it. I'm looking at your hands. I agree too. It's going to happen. It's coming to pass for you. For the faithful. Not for everybody. For the faithful. Wow. What a testimony. Dylan said, I sowed to this ministry Sunday morning. By Sunday night, I received seven time harvest. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing. So Father, I pray for every person that's watching this broadcast. Lord, if they're not in position to receive your blessings, I pray that after this broadcast today, their eyes would be opened in the spirit realm to understand what is necessary, that we're called to be tithers. We're called to be givers. We're called to bless the poor. We're called to take care of those that cannot take care of themselves. Lord, give us a heart for our generation. Give us a desire to be a blessing in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord. Now, I pray that as your word says, that you will give seed to the sower. And you know who the sowers are, Lord. You know those that will do what you've asked them to do. So today I'm asking you, give seed to the sower in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy towards your children. We thank you that you have a plan to cause us to abound in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We love you and we give you all the praise. And if you believe it, somebody throw some fire in the comments section. If you know it's true, give God glory. This is going to be the best year you've ever seen in Jesus' mighty name. It's going to be the best year you've ever seen. Amen. I love that, Aaron. I am not poor. I bless the poor. Thank you, Jesus. Can't be both. <laughs> you can't be both. And today I'm challenging you, those that are watching. I'm challenging you today to take a step of faith. And sow a seed by faith that takes faith. I'm going to encourage you. Step out of your comfort zone and do something that the Lord has instructed you to do. Do something that will cause you to move forward in his plan. You know, I made up my mind. I'm not goofing around in 2021. And you heard me give the testimony that I got the, uh, I got the report just a few days ago that we actually sowed more in five months than we did in the previous 12 months. Because I'm not messing around. I love you, Bethany. I'm not, I'm not messing around. I'm going after this. We're going to feed more children than we've ever fed. We're going to preach in more nations we've ever preached. Now it's over 180. Seeing so, souls come in every single day. We're seeing new names. People from nations I've never even been to. We're discipling them. We're not playing games. We're on a mission. And if you're on this mission with me as the Victory Tribe, I'm going to challenge you to do something that will move God because it moves your faith. And he is moved by your faith. And he is moved by your actions of faith. See, here's what people like Paul don't understand. And I, don't, I mean Paul that was in YouTube. Here's what people that, like Paul don't understand. If you don't ever operate in a place of overflow and abundance, you have zero ability to be a blessing to your generation. Zero. You are insignificant. You're not making any change. You're not making any impact whatsoever. If you don't have 
the resource to do it. You can't preach the gospel in an effective way. You can't reach large groups of people. You can't carry out the mission of God. If you don't have the resource, then you don't have the impact. It's just the way it is. And that's why I love those of you that are connected to this ministry. We pray for you. Trust me when I tell you, we pray for you. (laughs) Scratchy off on YouTube needs to go back and listen to the whole thing (laughs) and listen to it again and listen to it again instead of scratchy off your little lottery stickers. (laughs) I'm actually, I would love to know how people expect to be a blessing to their generation without the resources of heaven. (laughs) He said, stop listening to Kenneth Copeland messages. Kenneth Copeland has done more by getting out of bed this morning and putting his pants on then that scratchy off person will do in their entire lifetime for the kingdom of God. And that's the absolute truth. That's the absolute truth. People look at men like Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, who's now in heaven, that saw millions of people. In fact, in the last, what, 10 years of his ministry, 60 million souls saved in the kingdom. And don't even know that it was men like Kenneth Copeland that sent them the money to hold those crusades. I know that from Dr. Bonke's mouth, hearing it myself at lunch with him. When he said, Copeland has sent us about $40 million to hold crusades. When we were about to go bankrupt and didn't have the money to continue to move forward, God raised up Brother Copeland, who sent us close to $40 million. And Brother Copeland's done more for the gospel than scratchy off on YouTube will ever do in seven lifetimes, in seven lifetimes, insignificant people because they hate God's ways. They hate God's methods. They hate God's plan. And it it proves that people like Scratchy Off and Paul hate God's word because there's no way to have a brain, not any way to have a brain and read the Bible objectively and think God's against increase. No brain. It's proof that you hate God's word. Those of you that are standing with us, I'm encouraging you today by faith. Go to miracleword.com. You can sow there. You can use one of the digital apps. You can use PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, hashtag donate if you're on Facebook or Twitter. You can use Zelle if you like to do Zelle transfers. All that information is on the website, miracleword.com. You can click on on the give button, but I want to uh, encourage you to partner with this ministry. Stand with us on a monthly basis. What can you do monthly? Can you stand with us at $100 a month? Are you able to do that? Could you put, put away $3 a day? Think about that. Could I set aside $3 a day for souls? That's $100 a month. Could you do that? And if you can, go to miracleword.com, click on the partner button, And set up a monthly seed with this ministry and believe God for souls to be saved. For everybody that's standing with us in the month of June, we're going to be sending you uh, Brother Hagin's book, Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. It will rock you. If you've never read this before, you need to read it. It needs to be in your library. It's a powerful, powerful message. 
that will bless you abundantly. I'm so thankful for Brother Hagin. Miss him uh, uh, tremendously, but I'll see him again in heaven. But I want to encourage you, those of you that want to receive this, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out the form. We'll send you this book as you're sowing. It'll let you, it'll let us know where you sowed your seed, how you sowed your seed, and it gives us an address to send the book to. And so you can get that. And of course, those that are sowing $1,000 or more, we're going to be sending you along with the book, the Genuine Leather Life Application Study Bible. And for those that are sowing $5,000 or more, we've got the Elite Study Collection that's shipping with my opinion, the best study resources that a Christian could have at their fingertips. And I mean that because I look for these everywhere. And uh, we're going to send that to everybody that's sewing at a $5,000 level or more. And uh, it's our way of just saying thank you to you for standing with this ministry and believing God for increase. I am in Scranton, Pennsylvania at Peckville Assembly of God. We're back live again tonight through Friday at 7 p.m., You can watch it on social media. If you're close, I encourage you to come and be a part of the meeting. It will bless you. Last night was wonderful. Sunday was wonderful. I can't wait for tonight. It's going to be awesome. And then, of course, I'm live with you all week in the day, 1030 a.m. And uh, Mike said, can we get the trifecta? Um, the the, The email address for the Zelle transfer is info at miracleword.com. That information, Jola, is actually on the website as well. But the email again is info at miracleword.com. And you can see that on the give page of our site. And thank you for sowing seeds. Thank you to everybody that's been sowing. You guys are so generous. You're such a blessing. And we're getting ready to expand again, if you didn't know. Maybe you want to be uh, somebody that stands with us and believes God for that expansion, but we're getting ready now to expand to not just Jamaica, but now every island in the Caribbean to preach the gospel weekly. That's 39 million more people that we're going to add as we preach the gospel around the world. And so if you'd like to uh, stand with us as we get ready to expand our television ministry again into all those islands, Trinidad, Tobago, you know, all through, the, all through the Caribbean. You can stand with us financially and watch as people are being saved all over the world because of the gospel that's being preached through this ministry of which you're a part. You're an important part. And I love you a lot. One other thing I wanted to say, I want to stay in touch with you guys that are, uh, you know, texting me. If you're not connected via text message, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash text, sign up and put your contact information in my phone book. You're getting texts from me. It doesn't come from somebody else. I'm always texting you and uh, I want to stay in touch with you. Have you stay in touch with me? That's how we can do it and stay connected in that way. By the way, as I said yesterday, we've got some new drops that are getting ready to happen. I've got some merch we're putting together for the victory tribe. All that stuff is going to be seen first via text message. The text family is going to get all the information on how to get the merch. You're going to get sneak peek previews of pictures of stuff we're designing. All that's coming here first. Before social media, this is what you're going to get. Um, Liz, I'll check to see. Uh, Send a, you say you didn't get a text back, but I'll look and see, Liz, and and figure it out with you. But it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see these new new pieces we're putting out. They're going to be so sick. I've been looking at some... uh, some stuff that I, that I had an idea to create 
and we're looking at creating our own specific line, which I'm very excited about. More information to come soon, but it's coming here first. So if you wanna be a part of that, definitely, definitely sign up to receive text messages. It's gonna be awesome. I love you guys. Now tomorrow, we've got brand new stuff coming out for the kids. It'll be Wednesday, Miracle Word Kids. Brand new video, brand new Bible study. You don't wanna miss it. If you don't have our app, download it. Download it immediately because all of the television broadcasts can be viewed there. All the Miracle Word Kids content's viewed there. All of the um, Miracle Word Radio content, we've got so much in one free app. Just search Miracle Word in your app store and you can get some of it. I love you guys. Thanks for hanging with me today. Have an awesome day. I'll see you tonight and I'll be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Be blessed. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.